praises to the Lord. Oh, your praises to the Lord. We're going to lift them higher with one accord. Lift your praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. You are listening to the broadcast of True Bible Vision for Jesus Church, located at 6010 West Mill Road, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where the pastor is Thinking also, like, 
in school, they have like the golden rule. You can take that for an example. Now, it's not, uh, it comes from the Bible, but you don't have to mention that it comes from Matthew 7 and 12. You can just give them the English standard version of it where it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you or treat them, treat somebody the way you want to be treated. It's still in the Bible. It still comes from the Bible, but you're not mentioning where it comes from. Right. It's about, it's the way you got things going now because it's such an anti-Christ spirit out there. They're so anti-Christian, but they need those uh, guidance that the Lord has set forth so that people will have a sense of value. Because today the children don't have, it seems like they don't even have a conscience. It's like they don't have a, a respect for the elders and nothing. Yeah, they don't have respect for elders. They don't have respect for teachers. They're, from, from my experience, from K-4 to fifth grade, they're angry, they're violent, they're vicious, and they, they love to, they just, they are, I mean, they just have no sense of direction and no moral compass. Right, right, and I think what a lot of parents are doing, they're pulling their children out of public schools, and you have those, not that all of the children that remain in the public school system are in that category, but enough of them are that somehow, you have to get the word across because a lot of them are neglected at home. And a lot of them are children of children. You know, the parents are You know, are young. have a, a, a very, they're given a very important area where they can influence children. Right. Um, because you figure they spend a good portion of their life in the classroom. Right. So anyway, this article says that how to share Christ as a public school teacher Number one, it says, show Christ through your actions. If our students are ever going to be open to what we have to say, they need to see Christ in who we are and what we do. So love your students, even though they're <laughs> hard to love. Love your students. Be an example of a believer showing him through your con showing through your conduct and daily interactions. I I guess somewhere I I Maybe you can go to teachfortheheart.com. It says, check out our post, 10 ways to show Christ to your students for specific ideas on exactly how to do that. The second thing is that you can embrace the truth. Every single teacher has preconceived philosophies and ideas that they bring with them to the classroom. The difference is, is that ours are the truth. So if others are going to spread their false philosophies, we certainly shouldn't muzzle our true ones. God truths are not just for Sunday mornings. They still hold true for the entire week, not just Sundays. And yes, there are restrictions. So, you know, you're not going to stand in the hallway and start preaching the gospel. You're not going to be quoting scriptures. Um... But his universal truths apply to every aspect of our lives and should be a part of you that they impact everything that you do and naturally weave themselves into your teachings and interactions. If they aren't, then you need to get into the word and really start to embrace its truths, allowing them to impact every part of you. So I guess on this website there is a area where it says... Um, Thinking biblically. Right. 
but it doesn't get any examples. I know you just have to go to the website. The website teaching teachfortheheart.com. Right, and see, what I'm thinking, you have so many children now that they're in households that don't praise the Lord, that don't know the Lord. You know, because that's why it's so necessary in school, because some of these children, uh, like when we were coming up, it, it, was no, it was like a no-brainer. Even the people who basically didn't go to church would acknowledge the Lord. You know, they would still acknowledge God. But now we are in a generation where they don't even acknowledge the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so when they come to school, like you're saying, they don't have a moral compass. Yeah, and because uh, that foundation at home, and that's where it really starts. It starts with the parents. It starts with them um, leading them to the Lord and raising them in the fear of the Lord. But when you don't have that, right. then the schools pick up the tab. Right. And then our job as school teachers spend time you know, redirecting and trying to steer them in the right direction. Right. And then when they go home, then it, then sometimes they can get uncorrected and have to start all over again. Right. And, and they can at least come up with a class called ethics. I mean, how can you dispute or have something to say against ethics? Yeah, and, and too, because it's um, our, every, our moral compass comes from the Bible. That's how you know to uh, do unto others as you have right. to You don't get that from Socrates. You tell, a person, right. you tell yeah. a person you can't, you shouldn't steal. You know, it, it, it's, it's scriptural. You but, can't get around it. Right, but but the only way they can probably uh, teach this in the school is, is ethics, you know. And we have to say it's, it's a legal issue. But we know that it's a spiritual issue, but we tell them you, you shouldn't lie. You, if you get on the stand, you can't perjure yourself. That's almost a, a guaranteed extra five years on your sentence, you know. I know I stand when I was with Massimo High School, we had biblical, we had an ethics class. And they was taught, we was taught scriptures, we was right. taught the ethics of morals. Because it's a, of, it's of a religious based school. Right. So, but when you come to the right. public right. school, then you have to tell them, well, we're going to teach you civics, we're going to teach you ethics, you know, mm -hmm. and basically, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a course on manners. Because, I mean, they really, really don't have them. You know, and they don't think anything of it. I saw a young man, he was driving, young fella, and he came around the corner, and he came so fast, and I don't know if, uh, if it was my daughter who knew or whatever, and he, oh, he's sorry, and then he's useless swear words, and then he, but he was being polite. See, in his mind, he he didn't think anything of it, and I could tell. He, he thought he was being uh, a gentleman. And so, within his communication, he's Cussing, you know, and stuff, and I'm looking at him, such a, a nice young man, but he had no clue. You know, and so that's the generation that we are involved with. They don't even realize that they're being based. And just, uh, I happened to see something, a, a video, a viral video about, and it was these kids, and they posted on this viral video website, and they, and they were talking about should kids get punished if they use swear words of profanity. And this one little girl, she's a cute little girl, but she said something, I can't remember all, but I paraphrased some of them. She said, um, the part where she said, uh, she, she was saying, if my mama hear me, if she don't hear me, then I'm cool. But if my mama hears me, I'll cuss her so-and-so out. And, this, and it was, and she, she just went right on there, and it's viral too, and it's like, in the title real, who raising these kids? Right, right, exactly, who, who, who's raising these children so that uh, when, when they try to act like adults, but they're not adults.
have to use the rod of correction to drive the foolishness out of them. Because if you don't do it, somebody's going to do it for you. So it goes on to say that you can objectively discuss faith when it applies to the curriculum. So according to the Liberty Council, you are absolutely free to discuss faith as it applies to your curriculum. For example, if you are discussing ancient, ancient Egypt, it is appropriate to discuss their religious beliefs and how they differ from the beliefs people commonly hold today. Can you do that with the evolution? You know, because they're, just, they're preaching that's just like it's pure fact. Can you then give the, uh, the Bible and say, God created heaven and earth? You should be. You should, should be, be able to distinguish, like, this is what evolution, evolutionists believe, but this is where the, uh, the, what the Bible says. Okay. The goal of such discussions should be to get the students thinking and to prompt them to ask questions. Because if they ask questions, then you are then you're free to answer them. Um, if you want to read the whole report from the Liberty Council, you can go to teachfortheheart.com. Now, another thing that you can do is to honestly answer questions about your faith. You have great freedom to answer questions that students ask of you, whether in the classroom or one-on-one. -on -one. So when students ask you a question that relates to your faith, answer it as openly and honestly as you can. You, if you feel it's necessary, you can preface your response by letting them know that this is your personal belief or your personal opinion. And finally, it says, pray for your students and for opportunities to speak. Spend time praying for your students as well as their parents and your fellow teachers. And ask specifically that God would not only give you opportunities to speak truth into their lives, but that he would help you recognize and take advantage of them. So for anybody who wants to, to find out more, you can go teach the number four, theheart.com. Teachfortheheart.com. Now, someone sent me this article. And it's a Brooklyn teacher, <laughs> and, and comically it says maybe getting a lump of coal in their stocking this year for Christmas, but actually the Brooklyn teacher was sacked after telling first graders that Santa and the Tooth Fairy are not real. So they, they, they fired the teacher. Parents at a Park Slope school were upset after their children came home crying recently because a substitute teacher told them this unsettling news. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was like three weeks before Christmas, and the kids are like about six years old, and a substitute teacher in Park Slope, uh, who is no longer going to te be teaching, they probably don't care because they're substitutes. She, uh, the mother, I guess, what the, it says, she said she knows each family believes different things. It's what makes New York City great. There's still this magic of childhood. Huh. The principal of Park Slope said that she was extremely upset to hear about the substitute teacher telling kids that Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy aren't real during a, lesson, during a lesson about convincing. So the act that the teacher did landed the teacher on the naughty list, according to the principal.
principal said, I guarantee you that this substitute will not be in class again. Not there, she anyway. She said in a letter to the parents, and we take this very seriously. Well, who, who cares? The substitute teacher probably couldn't care less, but I would be more upset if my child went to school and came back and said, Santa Claus is real. I, I would be upset. The tooth fairy is real. I would say, who is teaching you that nonsense? See, now that would upset me if you had a teacher who's only trying to convince my child that a lie is the truth. I, I don't see the childhood should not be based upon a lie. Fond memories of childhood shouldn't be based upon something that's not true. That's ridiculous. It just shows you that's the age that we're in. They'd rather believe a lie than the truth. Right. And the kids will come home crying because there's no Santa Claus. I would say, don't, you don't have to worry. You still get your presents. I believe they would dry their eyes. You know, I'm thinking they're crying because they're thinking if there's no Santa Claus, I won't get any presents. Well, moving on, I found this article, and it's, I don't know this comedian, I don't know, do you know her, Michelle Wolf? No. Ever heard of her? Mm -hmm. Well, she uh, previously performed at the 2018 White House Correspondents' Dinner, and in a new Netflix special, she talked about her own personal abortion. Mm. And she said, that made her feel like God. I bet it did. She said, get one. See how you feel. She's you crazy. know that how my abortion made me feel? Very powerful. But you but know how people say you can't play God? I walked out of there being like, move over, Morgan Freeman. I am God. But here's, here's, here's her problem. This is acknowledging that what she terminated was a life. See, it, was, it wasn't just something that was generic. She felt like God because she realized that she took a life. She added later in her performance what she thought about the limits of abortion laws. A lot of people think that even if you're allowed to get abortions, it should only be for a very few specific reasons. She says, well, I think you should be able to get an abortion for any reason you want. In April of 2018, she roasted... Uh, President Trump at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, but Trump, you know, never attended. She also joked about then-White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Wolf was criticized for her performance at the dinner, but she addressed it in her new Netflix special. It was a job, she said. It didn't pay well. Then afterward, all of these people were like, you ruined the dinner, she recalled. And I was like, I ruined every dinner. Did you do Did you do no research? Right. Well, pride goes before uh, destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. She also talked about how female comedians are sometimes treated differently than their male counterparts. I know all the stuff I talk about, but men talk about almost all the same stuff, she said. And as soon as men do it, people are like, yeah, Men, men are talking about men are gross. Uh, Which is crazy because women are so much grosser than men. We're disgusting. This is why we gotta stop being cute. Wolf is a former writer for the late night with Seth Meyers and the Daily Show. And, and, that's, and I don't like either one of those, so that's probably why. But the thing about it is that it has nothing really to do with her. Well, I mean, the abortion part does have something to do with her. Her gender, but for the most part, it's just that she's not funny. She can't, she can't uh, pin that on whether it's male or female. She's just not funny. She's just gross. <laughs> you know, and yeah, that's all there is to it. Dinner, right? Where yeah, there's no talent. Performs. Right. So I don't know. Just an 
update. You know, we uh, last week, I think it was last week, we talked about how the Hallmark Channel uh, pulled a, a lesbian wedding ad. And now they put it back. Well, now they caved and they put it back. And in fact, I did see. Uh, actually, I did see the. Commercial. I would be so embarrassed if my daughter was in that commercial. I would say, oh my gosh. I, I would say, can I put a disclaimer up there? You know, I, I had this child, but. I had no idea they were going to turn out to be these type of commercials. A lot of people heard about it because it was on national, I think it was on national news, you know, and they showed the, the clip of the two women kissing. But, so that's the update. And I don't understand this article, but someone sent this to me because they, uh, it said that there's a lawsuit. The United States Post Office is not only chilling speech, it silences it by blocking personal religious content on stamps. I, you oh. know, I was reading this article and it says a Dallas-based religious liberty law firm is suing the United States Postal Service arguing that a 2017 regulation barring any depiction of religious content on personalized stamps is unconstitutional. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of Susan Fletcher a graphic designer from Plano, Texas, who pre was prevented from creating personalized stamps because of the USPS rule. I, I don't think right. many people can personalize their own stamps. Well, they have a, yeah, they have a, a, an app if you want to sort of, you know, create your own type of stamp. And so evidently this person's uh, creation is religious. Yeah. I didn't know that because they do have certain stamps that are religious and Hanukkah and, you know, Jewish. And but they're not going to, I guess, an individual. But I guess what she wanted to create was um, the following design. The Christmas nativity scene calling the birth of Christ Emmanuel, God with us. And the phrase, God bless Texas to celebrate Texas Independence Day and reflecting her personal prayer for her home state. Right. Another one, she said, a depiction of the empty cross of Christ with the phrase, I am with you always to celebrate Easter. She might just and have to design her own envelopes. A, a stamp wrapping paper. missionary work, primary duty of Christians, according to Susan, featuring the words of Christ from Matthew chapter 28 that says, go therefore and make disciples. Right, I think she would just have to, instead of trying to design a stamp, she probably have to design her own envelopes, her own wrapping paper. You know, and I think maybe the reason why the United States Postal Service is doing that is because if you open up the door, then they also have to honor the satanic stamps. Uh, and I think you have to do Jewish stamps, you know, the good witch, white witch, black witch stamps, you know, you know warlock stamps. Yeah, and after a while, it would just get ridiculous. But I guess I learned something every day. I, I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't right. know that you could create your own stamps. Right. And then I'm thinking somebody might push and say, well, how come we can't have photographic stamps? I mean, you know, the body is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I ran across this article on ChristianHeadlines.com. And it's about a state trooper that was praying with grieving family during a traffic stop. Okay. So the routine traffic stop ended in prayer recently when a state trooper by the name of Ross Bates heard that the couple had experienced a death in the family. Um, Linnell James, the middle school teacher, was driving from Conroe to Dallas with her husband, Lamar, to be with the family after Lamar's brother died unexpectedly in a uh, traffic accident. And as they drove through a small town, Bates pulled him over 
the brother-in-law's passing, and he said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Do you know where he is? And her husband answered, yes, at the morgue. But Bates, the state trooper, says, no, he is now in his heavenly home. His reaction caught the couple off guard, and when he returned with a warning, the state trooper asked if he could pray with them and then removed his hat and held their hands while he prayed. And the couple said that they have never had that happen before, but it was everything that we needed at that moment. Thank you so much, Trooper Bates, for praying for us, with us. There's so much in the news about with negativity and the police killings and the racial tension. It's a lot. So the 16-year-old Texas um, state trooper was honored to pray with them, he said. He sent in a statement to the uh, TV studio, I am humbled that my actions had a positive impact on their lives during this difficult time. As a straight state trooper, I've met many people who have shared their stories with me. Often I don't hear about the impact I've had on them. I am truly humbled by the kind words of Mrs. James. I will always be grateful that our brief interaction had a positive impact on their family. Yeah, and the South, I think they might be getting away from it, but the South to me is more God conscious uh, than God conscious than, than the North. Right. Mm -hmm. I was impressed when, the, when they would pull over for freedom and turn on the headlights. Yes, praise the Lord and let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Today's verse of the day comes from John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, ain't God all right? God is all right. Praise the Lord. Last week's food for thought was, when does your joy come? And the answer is in the morning. And that can be found in Psalm 30, verse 5, which reads, For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. This week's food for thought is, when do you reap joy? Hint, the Bible. And that's food for thought.
praise the Lord. It's chat time. Yes, praise the Lord. It's chat time once again. Now, this week, we will continue our discussions of current events and scriptures. Praise the Lord. So this week, I want to start with a scripture. And I want to talk about the parable of the ten virgins. And that can be found in Matthew chapter 25, the first 13 verses. Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13 reads, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom carried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch there. For ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Praise the Lord. So my question is, I mean, I understand, and we were talking about this in uh, Bible study one day, and I was thinking about this uh, parable, and I guess I got, anyway, I guess the parable itself is talking about those that are saved and those that are not saved. The oil represents the Holy Spirit, is what my understanding is. But what I get stuck on is they were all virgins. So what is the definition of a virgin? My, in my mind, I was thinking that's clean, that, that a, a person is, is worthy of the Lord. I mean, they all were virgins. I mean, five were foolish and five were wise, but what is the definition of a virgin in this parable? So I believe that someone who hasn't uh, been defiled, you know, like a virgin to be male or female, but in, in this particular instance, uh, you know, you give me the impression that they're uh, women, but the point is, a virgin is someone who hasn't uh, been sexually intimate in the natural sense has not been sexually intimate with anyone that in that sense they are pure so the, the body hasn't been uh, defiled and so and I believe in this parable is saying that you know they had 10 virgins 10, ten uh, souls that had integrity it's not like they didn't have potential just like Cain Cain was a person of, of, uh, of, of such a, a stature that his mother that Eve said, I have a man child. So there was something about Cain that made him special. 
So they have the potential, all 10 had the potential to be whatever it is that the Lord would have had them to be. And then, so my understanding that the oil is the Holy Spirit? Well, I believe that the oil represents the Holy Spirit because it represents something that the Lord said made them ready. Because without it, they would not have been ready. So, well, they all had lamps. Right. They all had lamps. So that, you know, it appears that they all were pretty much ready except for those that didn't have the oil. Which, is, which means that which, they weren't really ready. They had the potential to be ready, but they never took the advantage. They slept without being fully prepared. So they all but they all prepared. slept, yes, all so ten of them. But the ones that slept that had the oil, they slept fully prepared. But the ones without the oil, they were asleep. But they, to me it was like, but they were incomplete. Whereas the ones with the oil, they were complete. Okay, so then, the, so when they woke up and the bridegroom was coming, they all got up and they were trimming their lamps. So it was like five were just about there. Trimming means that they were getting it. I don't know what trimming means. Is it they were putting the oil in or were no, they trimming the wicks? And then the foolish said to the wise, give us your oil, some of your oil for our lamps are gone out. So that sounds like to me that they had oil, but they went out. The lamps no, went. Yeah, they didn't have oil. What they did, they only had was the wick. They lit the wick, and the wick burned for a while because it made a cloth, but there was nothing to sustain it. Okay. So the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy. Get, get your own oil. Go get your own oil. So my question is, so I guess they couldn't share the oil. If, if the oil is the Holy Spirit, you have to get it for yourself. For yourself. You have to say it for yourself. And they could have prayed for the foolish ones. I mean, is you know, that the foolish ones have to? They have to seek the Lord for themselves, but they waited too late. So, so it's it's like. Was there any hope for the foolish ones? Too late. And it was a hope before they fell asleep. There was hope, but not after they fell asleep. So. Well, they, they all fell asleep. That's what they all fell asleep. But the ones that weren't prepared fell asleep without being prepared. So how do you sleep? Where the tree falls, that's how it's going to rise. You sleep in the sense of just taking a nap, not. No, I think that they. Means, I think it means that. Uh, I think it means that they slept like they died. But slumbered they, and slept. Right. You, you think yeah. it means that they that they that they basically well even if they, even if it doesn't represent death it represents a state where they were active and so they chose to be inactive but they did it without being prepared. It's just like if you're resting but you haven't completed your job. So they rested. And when they made a, a, a cry and said the bridegroom come, it was too late. Okay. So it's like the old saying, don't let them catch you with, with your work undone. Right. Right. So, so it, was just, it was just too late. So when, when they decided, when they said, it wouldn't, I can't give you my salvation, that would have been the case. You know, I've heard people say, oh, if I could, I would just, I would just put the Holy Ghost, if I, if I just could, I would just give you the Holy Ghost. No, you wouldn't. You know, because... If, if the person doesn't think enough to 
seek the Lord for themselves, get God for themselves, you wouldn't give them what you have. And like they said, if, 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 even if I could do it, which I can't do it, even if I could do it, you know, it might not be enough. Not, it's not like Moses when he laid his hands on, on the elders and he had enough anointing to anoint the elders plus some left over for himself. It's not like that. It's like, no, I, you have to you seek the Lord for yourself. You have to receive salvation for yourself. Okay, and so, but you know, it, it's like, I got to get mine, you got to get yours. Right. But, but you know, there are examples in the Bible where it says that they, you know, people laid hands, the, the disciples or apostles laid hands on people and they received the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. You know, so they... It was too late for them to do that. So maybe... Now, I mean, maybe when they woke up and they said... When they told them to go by, it was too late. So if they... That's when he came, when they right, came to go right. by, it was too late. All right. So when they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in and the then the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came because they had their oil, right? I don't know. I don't know whether they had their oil. Well, that's what I'm assuming when, when they went out to... And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. So I, I must be wrong in assuming that they were they were ready too late. That they got the oil. They weren't ready. If you came and say they were ready too late, they weren't ready. I don't even think that they got the oil. I mean, I believe that um, the Lord means when I come, you be ready. You be you you be whole. You be you be found doing what I told you to do. You know. So whatever it is that you're supposed to do, which is like put oil in your lamp. That is what you would do. I don't know if they saw the oil or not. The point is, when he came, they weren't ready. And I guess I'm so saying, go be ready so you don't have to get ready. Because somebody is coming, you don't want just to start getting ready. You want to be ready so by the time they come, you're ready to go. Right. Because when, when he shut the door, that was it. So I don't know if they got the oil or not. I don't know if they came in and said, open up to us. I guess I always assumed that when I read this, that they when they came back, I, I don't know that they had the oil. See, I don't believe they had it. I believe they went to seek it, but it wasn't. It, it was too late. And I believe when they came back to the door and asked the Lord to open up, either way, you know, reaching entrance, the Lord says it's you weren't ready. Too late. I know you not. Yeah. And see, I don't believe he would have said that had they had oil. I believe you say that because they went to do what they should have done before they slept and slumbered. So, in other words, it's too late, like when you read in Revelation that people have a chance, but they still don't change, they still don't turn their hearts to the Lord, they still don't. And then when they finally realize, that the Messiah had come, then, then they decide, uh, Lord, and the Lord says, too late. It also reminds me of how, when it was with Noah, when he had built, the Lord told him to build the ark because he was going to rain down judgment. And Noah, by faith, he built the ark, and people wanted 
why he's building the ark, and they was probably ostracizing, criticizing, didn't know why he was doing it. But by faith, he knew what the Lord told him to do. And then when the flood, then the Lord said he shut the door. And even when people realized, we're in trouble. It was too late. Right? They weren't they weren't ready. So so all that time, the Lord allowed, allowed the door to stay open for a length of time to give them the opportunity to come inside the ark. But when they finally decided their safety in the ark, it was too late. So it's it's sort of like what it says in Matthew 24, verse 43. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Right. So the Lord is saying, if I tell you when I'm coming, then you probably would get ready, but for the wrong reasons. Not because you're faithful, not because you're trustworthy, not because you love me, but because you don't want to suffer retribution, so you would be ready if I said coming at 12, you'd be ready at 12, but for the wrong reasons. He said, but I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming, so if you love me, you'll be ready. So whatever it is that you have to do, when I come, I'll find you faithful. I'll find you doing. And so a lot of people, if they feel like the Lord is delaying, they feel like they have time. People are, I like that, you know, I'll do it tomorrow, like this guy told my mother, you know, I'll come with you to church. She said, you need to come with me tonight. No, I'll come with you on Friday. And he was gone. Oh, you mean he died? Mm -hmm. So they're out there. That That's, in essence, what, when the Lord comes, the second coming, mm -hmm. you die, you go to hell. Right, meaning, hell meaning, because some people, you know, they, hell meaning that you are totally cut off from hope. You are eternally engulfed in God's wrath. And not just hell, hell is also thrown into the lake of fire. You are eternally in the presence of God's angels instead of his grace. And that's, that's what hell is, no hope. But hell and death. Right, uh, and, and that man of sin, all going to the, the, the lake of fire, and the lake of fire, God's wrath. So, meaning that he's angry with the fact that you had a chance, but you didn't take it. So that's what that means, because that doesn't mean that they're just so close to receiving the Holy Spirit, and they just didn't take that extra step. Well, they, they do. That, that, that's basically, that's true, too. You know, the same faith that would allow them to try and uh, carry the lamp and light the wick that same faith to lead them to get the oil. But for whatever reason, they never followed through. And there are people who, that's like this, that's why when they ask them, you know, I, I think we do people on the whole as a service when we tell them to repeat this particular prayer and then we tell the person, oh, now you're saved. The salvation of God comes with a true conversion. The Lord said, let me come is he says you have to be born again. Anything that is born, it goes through something. It comes out and you become a new creature. It's nothing that's idle. It's something that all of heaven rejoices. It's a miracle. It's a miraculous event. It is something whereby you brought from death to life. And people have them repeat a few words and tell them that they're saved, depriving them of that opportunity. And if they're really seeking a 
truth, the Lord will allow them to find someone, someplace, somewhere, so that they truly receive the baptism of the, of the Holy Ghost. You know, so uh, you can be just right at the door, but decide for whatever reason not to follow through. So, be ready. Just like it says in Matthew 24, be also ready. Matthew 24, 44. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Right. So, so just when you don't think it's going to happen, that's when, it will that's when it's going to happen. Right. And then it'll be just too late. Right. And I can only imagine how I would feel if right. it was just too late. Because you have, there's just no time. And so, and it, and it also applies in this sense. You don't know when your time is. We're like fish caught in an evil net. You don't know when your time is. When Jesus' brothers uh, basically were deriding him, and the Lord looked at his brothers and said, I know when my time is. He said, you don't know when you're going to die. Basically, he was telling them, you don't know when you're going to die. Well, we don't. We don't right. know so when we're So because we don't know, we have to be ready. You don't know when the Lord is going to come and take you. You might, you might make it to the point where you're caught up and translated, but you might not. You might know, be here. You don't know when, so he said, be ready. You love the Lord every day. You know, you give God everything, every day. You die daily. All right, then someone sent me this article of, that says that if Jesus were on earth today, he would be banned from Bethlehem because he was Jewish. So... The Bible clearly states that Jesus was a Jew living in Judea. And some believe, and I don't know, <laughs> I, I, I don't think so, but some believe he was, in fact, Palestinian. Oh, well, I don't, I don't know what they mean by that, because if they're talking Palestinian based upon uh, nationality, uh, 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 what, what they mean to say, I have no idea. All I know is that when the Lord called out and separated the people through Abraham, he called out a people of faith, so a family. So uh, when we're talking about being Jewish, we're talking, if we're talking the natural line of Abraham, it's still a family. And then when we talk the spiritual line that Abraham represents, we're still talking a family. We're not talking nationality, we're talking this article comes from cbnnews.com, and Lori Cardoza Moore is an evangelical leader and founder of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, and she believes the idea that Jesus was Palestinian is not only wrong, but anti-Semitic. The narrative that Jesus was Palestinian is deeply rooted in a global anti-Semitic movement to rob Christians of their true H-E-B-R-A-I-C heritage and align the church with radical terrorist groups that speak the, the destruction of the Jewish state. See, well, when I'm thinking of Palestine, I'm thinking of a place. If they're talking uh, an actual bloodline, the bloodline is, is tied back through the line of Seth. So unless the Palestinians come out of the line of Seth, which I don't think they do, 
they, if they're talking that the bloodline, then it can't be. But I'm thinking in terms of family, not nationality. And uh, I'm thinking if, if we're thinking bloodline and stuff, you have to come through the United States. But the natural bloodline um, is just a representation of the spiritual. So it's the spiritual bloodline, which is through Jesus, which is through uh, what they call the Hebrew line of Greg. And if they're trying to take credit for Christ, trying to say they're going to take credit for Christ, you know, which I haven't seen them yet do, uh, but the point is, is that it's, it's not a, it's a faith walk. It's, it's not just natural type of pursuit that these people are having. It's by faith. And you're not joining a race, which is what the Lutherans teach. You're not joining a, a race. I was so surprised to hear that. You're joining a family. When you say you're adopted into a family, not a race, you know, not whether you're white, black, brown, red, that's crazy. You're adopted into a, a family of believers in Christ. So this article goes on to say that the large red signs can be seen on the entrances to Bethlehem declaring it as a no-go area for Israelis. If Jesus was alive today, he'd be labeled a Jewish settler and barred from entering Bethlehem. If Jesus was alive today, he'd walk right into Bethlehem. That's <laughs> what I was thinking too when I read this article. It, it, he would defy. Right. They would look up and there he would be in the middle of the town square people. He would defy what, what people say that he can't do. Right. Because he did the opposite. I mean, he ate with the sinners, he, and, right. and that's irritated people. Talk to a Samaritan woman, they were like, wow. <laughs> he said he saw thing like I saw. Right. He did things opposite of what we, you, what we would do or how we feel about people. Right. So I um, have this article that I found on ChristianHeadlines.com and it talks about I don't know if you, anybody remembers this NFL player, Brian Bosworth. I, I Definitely am not a sports fan. But um, social media often is a source of division. But two days after Christmas, it allowed a football legend to right an overlooked 30-year wrong. And the incident began when the NFL Seattle Seahawks announced that former player Brian Bosworth, who played for the team for two seasons in the late 80s prior to a career-ending injury, would be raising the Seahawks' 12th man flag in a traditional pre-game ceremony prior to the team's game with San Francisco. And he tweeted, Brian Bosworth tweeted, that he was truly blessed and honored to be asked to raise the 12th flag for the Seattle Seahawks and the amazing city and the fans. And he had a little, you know, a little say-so on there, but that pushed that, that sparked a lot of pushback from uh, several fans who remembered him as being uh, self-centered, sort of a jerk, you know. And then there was one woman who, after he posted that on Twitter, she posted, I was a young mother working in a job in retail when Boz was playing for Seattle, and she, her name is Tammy. She wrote on Twitter, he came through my checkout line one day and was extremely rude. He actually said, don't you know who I am? Didn't, I didn't at the time, she said, but I will never forget how he made me feel. So 
I'm not a fan. Right. I mean, did he apologize? He did. I guess he did. He tweeted. He quickly, you know, tweeted responding that he changed. He's sorry. I was unpleasant when I was young. Back then, it was all about me and nothing about the Lord. Standing alone is being in darkness, being close to God. Life is very bright and full of grace. So our next interaction will be much brighter. The apology stood out on Twitter, you know, which is a rare platform where humility is rare, I guess. So um, it's good that he made a, a wrong right. And we'll have to continue next week with more current events. Yes, praise the Lord and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Today's verse of the day comes from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, just, just the fatherless, and plead for the will. Now ain't God alright? God, God is alright. All right. Last week's food for thought was... When your children are taught of the Lord, what happens to the children? And the answer is that they shall have great peace. And that answer can be found in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13, which reads, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. This week's food for thought is, What does charity do? Hint, the Bible. And that's food for thought.